0: Okay, I'm delighted to be joined in the Downtown Den today by Tim Heakley, who's the co-founder of Capital & Centric, and of course, star of the Silver Screen, uh, having uh, featured in the recent BBC documentary, Mangtopia. Great to see you, Tim. Thanks for joining us today.
1: Thanks, Frank. It's uh, it's an honor. And apologies to anybody who's already had a gutful of seeing me on their screen over the past four weeks.
0: (laughs) I think it's always a brave thing for somebody to do take part in that sort of fly-on-the-wall documentary because, of course, you don't have any editorial control. It's warts and all. Uh, And, of course, anybody who's watched the series uh, will know that it's an unfolding story. Uh, and therefore, uh, you know, I suppose property developer has its own connotations. And you were perhaps in the first uh, couple of episodes set up as a bit of the villain of the piece, do you think?
1: Yeah, definitely. I think it makes good TV, doesn't it, really? Um, and I suppose the point of a documentary is, of course, to demonstrate that what you think to be the case isn't necessarily the case. You know, you're not going to tune in to watch something for a four, commit four hours of your life uh, to learn something that you already know. Um, but they have to set it up in such a way that they leave that jeopardy and that question mark over the story to make sure you tune in next week. So, um, yeah, I think it was fair. and I think it was
0: balanced,
1: actually. But there's always a few little, um, you know, there's a few little stings in the tail here and there just to keep people uh, tuning back in again.
0: Yeah. I I thought it was a fascinating uh, contrast between, um, you know, to put it crudely, the haves and the have-nots. But I think, again, because of the nature and the way in which these TV series have to be set up, there's no grey bits, is that it's very black and white. It's very much, well, you're for or against. Uh, And I think what Manchester's been tremendously good at doing over the past 20, 25 years is actually finding that middle ground, that way through to ensuring regeneration, a redevelopment and a renaissance of the city, whilst at the same time giving its local population, the indigenous community of Manchester, opportunities uh, to grow with it. Uh, Of course, people get left behind. And I know that Sir Richard Lees, Howard Bernstein, when he was there, John Roney now, very much in favour of an inclusivity agenda. They want people to take advantage of those opportunities. But as I always say, Tim, if you're going to distribute wealth, first thing you've got to do is create it. Uh, and I think, as I say, eventually, that starts to come out in the story.
1: Yeah, that's it, that's it. I think. Um, and, and actually, I think initially, anyone that's in the industry thought uh, that it was too, um, it was too simplistic and it didn't get, do a deep enough dive. But um, but obviously for, for TV, when people are sat there watching it and they're going to get a brew, um, or they're chatting to their partner um, and, and they're looking at the phone at the same time, what what they have to do is make sure that they don't uh, they, they don't get make it too complicated really, um, and and that's why they have to kind of keep returning back to you know the same individuals and to, to let a story kind of evolve over time and, and go back to your original point there in terms of um, you know it, it, it being a brave thing to do. I think um, you know, I think that. Our industry uh, and, and and the cities that we work in have got a lot uh, to offer. I think what, what we do is, I think it's good. We've nothing to hide. Um, I think we're authentic um, as a business as well in terms of what we do. And so, um, and so, the only way really to ever get that across is is to do that kind of like that that that, that in-depth analysis. It, it, it was filmed over twenty months, um, and we had to give them access to everything, um, and, and 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 yeah, and, and no veto rights, no editorial rights, and, be able to warrant and verify everything that we said because it's bbc it's got to be accurate um in as much as it can be um and so um and we just thought that actually if, if we did give them complete access then we've got the best chance of them um you know focusing a lot on the kind of things that we do and therefore uh, giving us the time really to communicate the, the the various nuanced arguments um as part of it and so um and so each one has got a different kind of each episode of the four episodes have got a, has got a different um take and a different um, message that it's trying to get across. One's about affordable homes, um, you know, uh, one's about what kind of communities do we need to create, um, you, know, uh, you know, one's about, um, you know, are we, are we bringing everybody along with us, you know, what, what kind of, um, you know, what kind of uh, cities do we want in the future and, and what, what next beyond it as well. Um, and, and I think that anyone that's watched all four actually at the end of it is where it really ties it together and, and starts to make sense of the whole thing um, but actually and I've had a whole spectrum of feedback as well from people you know from um, you know from a lot of criticism to a lot of praise um, so I think people take from it what they want to take from it as well I think you watch it um, and, and if you've got a preconception um, to some extent the documentary tries to dismantle that and put it back together again but if, you, if, if you're not open-minded I think you'll never, you'll never see the alternative points of view uh, but it does, I think, do a good job of showing the challenge, really, of how how you um, how, how do you invest billions in a location and make sure that everybody comes alongside um, and comes along with you for that journey. But also, how do you do it in such a way that doesn't destroy um, destroy what makes a city unique um, in the future um, as well? Um, so there's, it's and it is incredibly. Uh, complicated and, and no one's got the answers and I think that's what's quite good about the documentary is it tries to be non-judgmental it just tries to observe and tries to and I think that that's demonstrated in the fact that in in terms of the feedback that we've had back which is some people you know will will, uh, will have a have a real big dig saying we're not building enough affordable homes others will say I think it's incredible the way that you the way that you, you do some of the things that support and and, and encourage the communities to thrive um, and the way that you look at uh, helping people who might not necessarily be able to um take part in any of that um, growth and uh, development. Um, so you get, you get a whole different spectrum, really.
0: Mm. Uh, and I think the thing that was teased out, um, as you say, you're never going to get into the minutiae of yeah. these things, but is that challenge around social housing. And, uh, you know, I, I know that as a local politician for, for 16 years over the span of, uh, of my political uh, career, Uh, it was one of the things that we always used to struggle with because it it seems like a a relatively straightforward negotiation. So, you know, you would say to a developer, right, we want you to build 200 houses there, uh, make 25% of them social housing, and crack on. Uh, But, of course, uh, you've then got to make sure that the sites are right. Uh, You've got to make sure that you don't have then local objections, which, of course, uh, the site that you were trying to develop uh, suffer from. Uh, and then you've got to try and explain to people why you can't just build on any old wasteland. Uh, you know, the expense of brownfield sites, for example, and restoring them so that the fit for house building as an example. Uh, these are the sort of things that people perhaps don't appreciate. And as I say, I think uh, in its own way, the documentary tees some of those issues out. Uh, but ultimately, Tim, you know, when you're going through those negotiations. Listen, that's time, and time to any business is money. There's then other consultancy fees and professional fees attached. It's a difficult thing to get into, mate, isn't it? It's not as simple as saying, okay, let's go build 25, 50, 100 social houses over there. Not that simple.
1: No, I think um, you're right. And look, there's, you know, I think um, just because it's not simple doesn't mean we shouldn't do it. Um, and, and I think that we are, um, you know, we're trying to do it and do more of it as well. And one of our uh, our latest project is is a 100% affordable homes right in the city centre, right in the prime part of, uh, of Manchester, um, which I think is groundbreaking. Uh, around about 115 affordable homes, um, and so uh, so it can be done. It's just that you often need cooperation and partnership with a, a number of other organisations, and I think that. Uh, one thing that's come about that there has been a lot of discussion now about affordable homes which is uh, which is great and manchester as, as a city has been criticized because it hasn't built a, uh, enough affordable homes um in the past is you know and that's the current kind of um you know that that's the the, the general criticism that they've had but actually you know what people haven't necessarily, people forget really where Manchester's come from in the past 20 years and many cities are suffering from the same post-industrial decline that they've had to reverse and actually, um, you know, and even actually since, you know, some are still recovering from the 80s almost of, 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 you know, and and therefore um, different cities have different challenges. Manchester has created a huge amount of wealth. It has now got itself up on the the top of the crest of the wave and now I think it can make, make a real big inroad into creating affordable homes the question is where do you have them so an affordable home in the city centre uh, would probably pay for three times the amount of affordable homes outside of the city centre so is it right that we build 115 in the city centre when we could possibly build 300 and something in the suburbs Um, so so that's that's a question I think one of the big misconceptions is that developers don't want to build affordable homes they do um, as long as it's a level playing field so when you're trying to buy land and buildings off somebody else if I assume Um, I want to provide 20% affordable homes but every other developer who's bidding to buy that land and buildings assumes three or four or five percent because that's typically what that local authority has typically requested in the past then I'll never buy any land or homes because my competitors will buy instead and they'll build something else that has less affordable homes so we have to take a view of well do we either deliver and develop homes at all and competitively buy land and assume that we'll provide the same as everybody else which might be Three, four, five percent affordable homes, or do we, or, or do we pretend that we're ever going to be able to deliver more than that when we simply know we can't because the competition will will, will always be the, uh, the, the the people that buy the land. So the real loser in that situation, if we do impose higher percentages of, of affordable homes and it's fixed and isn't negotiable, the real loser in that is a landowner and the building owner. The developer often just doesn't care; they, they'll still make the same margin, they'll still make the same bottom line. Um, and so there needs to be a shift of perception the government've been quite clever in, in in allowing it to be you know a, a developer issue um you don't find you don't find any utility company or any uh, or any food company that've been told that they have to deliver affordable home or affordable power um uh, you know, affordable food or affordable power so you know, it's it, so. I think we need to go back to the government and say, "Hang on a second, are you doing enough to encourage affordable homes to get delivered? You know, are you putting the money in? Um, are you uh, putting the right frameworks in place for this to happen, and not allow them to shift the concentration back onto a developer uh, who, who often actually uh, can only do as much as the competitor can do um, when, when, when you're bidding to buy the the raw the, the raw materials to deliver that product."
0: Yeah, you have to forgive the uh, barking in the background there. That's uh, my my two dogs who are decided to, uh, to have a half hour of madness, but uh, never mind. Uh, unless they were just barking their agreement there, Tim, with the point well, of
1: protestation, Yeah, protesting,
0: yeah. who knows? Yeah, I, I think it's, it's a great point that you make, actually. I do think there is a perception of uh, property developers, you know, they're just out for the profit, they're, they're looking at the bottom line. Um, l- listen, l- let's not try and dress this up. We're in business. Uh, when you're in business, you want to make a profit. Uh, And there's no question about that. But equally, if you're a good business and you want to stay in business long term, then equally, you've got to ensure that the schemes, the developments, the regeneration that you're undertaking is sustainable. And there's win-win situations for people across the board. You've got to work with many stakeholders when you develop in any site. And therefore, the idea that, you know, you've just got these greedy developers raping cities and towns. It is a bit of a misnomer really isn't it?
1: I think often it is I'm, I'm sure they exist, but they don't get far in the more enlightened cities of, mm-hmm. of you know like Birmingham and Liverpool Leeds Manchester those kind of developers won't get far because you know that they are there are checks and balances to ensure that, um, that that the right kind of development happens in those cities and that's why those cities are so successful um, and so yeah we do need to um, yeah kind of all take a step back and actually, uh, you know, find a way, I think, of of, of, of being more cooperation, less finger pointing. Um, if, if affordable homes is what we need more of, then there's definitely a way that we can deliver it, but we just need uh, more collaboration and partnerships uh, to do that. Um, and I think that those cities that I just mentioned have, have done phenomenally well and are now in that position to, to to ensure that those affordable homes are delivered. And that's fundamentally what makes those cities so interesting. They're, they're diverse, they're dynamic, they're creative. Um, And and that that culture that exists, um, as you've got a a whole different spectrum of of people from different backgrounds, um, helps, it really helps to create um, a a growing and burgeoning city and a healthy city. And so, everyone wants to see that and uh, there's very little resistance, I think. It's just uh, that that next piece is is really kind of collaboration.
0: And, And I suppose the other thing I'd say that naturally brings me to the point is, what you see the future of cities, given the crisis that we're currently in, Lots of talk about, you know, this is the death, cities will never recover, towns will never recover. It's always going to be now everybody working from home and being quite happy uh, to do that. I have a very different view uh, to this, Tim. Aside from anything else, I think the business ecosystem uh, needs cities, needs towns. Equally, I think businesses, if they're going to create positive culture if they're going to have that dynamism, that creativity, they need to have people working alongside one another as colleagues, not stuck in um, their the homes. Uh, and again, the other point I've made to people who keep banging on about, isn't it great working from home? Well, uh, you and I uh, are sat quite comfortably doing this Zoom call now, in houses which have plenty of space, very comfortable, and I'm very happy doing this. But yeah. unfortunately, not everybody's in that position. And if you're stuck on Zoom calls on a little kitchen table and the facilities that you've got aren't particularly great, never mind. Listen, we're we're on the onset of winter. So people's energy bills are going to start going through the roof as well. My view, Tim, is that at some stage, and hopefully it's sooner rather than later, we will see return to the cities. We will see return to town centres.
1: I think you will. You know, I think, um, you know, one thing I bang on about that what we do isn't about it isn't about property it's about people uh, you know you've got to understand people and understand how that and, and how they work and it's not just a you know it's you, you, you've got to look this not just from an employee perspective but from a consumer perspective and when you look at customer satisfaction surveys you know and when, when you look at um, you know how how businesses are responding there will definitely be a drop-off in terms of the customer experience that just is because it's, it, it can't be delivered in the same way because we've not necessarily got the ability to do, you know, you know, to, to deliver the experience in the, in the best way possible. And then when we look at the output figures in terms of growth, um, we're going to see that, they're, that they will be down, you know, not, not uh, purely as a result of COVID, but I mean more in terms of uh, how, how productive we are as an industry, that will, that will dip massively um and, and actually you're right i think people like that interaction you know and i know that because i speak to people and ask people how, you, how how they're doing and how they're how they're working and as businesses are coming back into the workplace um what they're saying is actually exercises that took us you know four or five days to do we're now achieving in three and a half days again you know we're gone, you know and, and so we're saving time and, and, and we're more productive and we need that you know we need to be resilient economy and uh, we need that productivity level uh, to be back and, uh, and look i think it'll be a natural process people will uh, we'll do it slowly migrate back into our cities uh, there's a great opportunity for our towns you know uh, what we're seeing we're moving increasingly into suburbs uh, to deliver mixed use environments in those locations um, it's it's kind of it's, it's made it absolutely clear if it wasn't before that retail isn't the future for our uh, for our towns it's going to be uh, much more around homes and around workspaces um, as well uh, but also in the city as well you know in terms of how that re- rebalances it, it's it's There will be a lot of positives that come from it, um, you know, um, for for those businesses that have got that fleet of foot to to adapt and to change and survive and to see the opportunities. So, uh, I'm a big believer in cities. uh, I'm a big believer in people and the need for them to get together. And ultimately, that that, yes, it's a long game. You know, it's not going to happen next month, next week, but it but but it'll it'll certainly happen over the period of time.
0: And the other thing that was featured in the documentary, Tim, was your involvement in this, you know, horrendous issue that we've had over a number of years now in Manchester and other big cities, of course, of homelessness. And Andy Burnham put together a bit of a task force that you uh, headed up and, and, you know, again, I, if there was one part of the programme that I felt didn't necessarily uh, give enough credit, not just to you, but to the other people who were involved in that initiative, it was probably that. Uh, because I'm aware of the work that you and others have put into that initiative. And basically what it did, from what I've seen so far in terms of Manktopia was it showed the big, glitzy ball uh, that you organised with Vincent Company. And it was like, oh, you know, it was almost like, well, that's an easy thing to do. Yeah. You've been involved, I know, as I say, uh, with some uh, really detailed discussions with Andy and others, uh, and have made great progress. You know, strides of... Uh, in my opinion um that would never have been made if that task force wouldn't have been uh, created
1: yeah there's a huge there's a huge team i can't take any credit for the vincent company ball you know that, that that's a, that that was a, a a completely different team that pulled all that together i just happened to swan in swan in at the end of it really uh, i was i was abs- but i was much more involved in the the concert that we did uh, where we had various manchester bands um as well um, and so, and there's been loads of initiatives like that and there's, there's too many people to list of the people that have that, that have helped um, make those things happen, that have given up a huge amount of their time and, and the their, their resource from their businesses to make those things happen. And I got involved in that because um, I, um, I, w- I was approached by a guy with a mad idea to build, repurpose a former tour bus into a homeless shelter, a guy called Sid Williams. And so... Uh, we repurposed a lot of buildings and we thought you yeah, no, that could, know that, that could work you know you could make something great out of, out of not a lot and that appeals to me that's that sort of thrifty idea and we um so we did that we, we funded the purchase of that uh, that that was and uh, that went on to provide five thousand nights a year off the streets um and um and the success of that as uh, was really rewarding to be part of it um in a, in a very small way and then um and that's how I got to know Andy a bit in terms of his involvement in in, in focusing on on making sure that there should be no reason for anybody to sleep rough on 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 the in the streets of Greater Manchester. And that's when we said, you know what, we should we should get a bit of a task force together, uh, which we did. And then we started to raise funds. And then we formalised it, so we you know we founded the Greater Manchester Mayors Charity, which has gone on to raise nearly three million pounds in in in, a, in two and a bit years. Um, and the big focus of those funds has been um, into the A Bed Every Night initiative, um, which is to, to provide a bed for every single rough sleeper across Greater Manchester every night of the year. And the reason for that was that we knew that uh, from the feedback that we'd had during the cold winters, you know the, uh, you, know, the, you know, the beast from the east, which was, I think, a couple of years ago, when people were indoors consistently over a number of days and weeks, then you, ha- you built up a rapport with them and you could gradually, over time, understand what their complex needs were and work with them to get them reconnected back into society with work and uh, a and, and long-term home. So we wanted to re, uh, recreate that with A Bed Every Night and that's been phenomenally successful. Um, and and then obviously we've had everybody indoors most recently, of course, from COVID as well in a, in a bizarre twist. So um, so that's, you know, and, and, and we've got a great bunch of trustees and lots of people who, and, and that's the great thing about, about you know, um, Manchester is, you know, that support that you get from people is phenomenal. You know, the, um, the you, you, you only have to ask and people say yes, you know, no one, you know everyone wants to support it no one no one lets you down um and we, we've had our wings clipped quite a bit as a result of covid because we can't really do much to you know event wise to, uh, to to bring stuff in but um but yeah the team and the people involved and the the uh, you know the knowledge and the intelligence and the effort and the tenacity and stuff is is phenomenal really so and it makes you proud uh, to you know to to be a part of it and to be involved in it
0: and i think that thing that you know, a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of business people will say is that they want to put something back into the communities that they're from. Uh, And of course, that was part of the driver for you in terms of the Salford project that was featured in uh, the programme. Again, it touched briefly uh, in terms of your background and how you got into uh, property development, but, but it was skirted over a little. Um, so, you know, as somebody who's always fascinated by people's individual stories and journeys, just tell us a, a little bit more about how it started out, how you uh, went from, you know, being somebody who was sort of in university into, right, I'm going to take property development now as a, as a serious career prospect for myself.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, they did film all this and they, and they, and they went to, they, they went, came around to my mom and dad's house in Salford where I grew up. And they spoke to them and uh, they did all that but of course there's never enough you know i think i was in it quite enough um as, as other people have said um so um so yeah they, they couldn't fit it all in so i grew up in salford in a, a town called eccles uh, just at the end of the m602 and um uh, quite near the town center and eccles is a it's an interesting town because it's got um you know it's it's it's, it's had its issues high levels of deprivation worklessness um a, a very broad spectrum of people that live there as well, but it's only around the corner from a nice place called Monson, where values are really high, and, and which was featured actually as a location where people have been edged out almost because uh, the property prices have increased quite a bit. So I, um, I, uh, I went to uni uh, at Manchester Met Uni. I studied law, um, and, um, and whilst I was studying law at uni, some of my mates were studying artwork, um, and so uh, studying art. So I used to buy their kind of discarded artwork off them, and I would frame it up and and I, this was when if you bought art, you'd buy it from uh, Ikea or you'd buy it from Habitat and it'd be a print uh, and everyone had the same one in the lounge uh, or you go to a fancy gallery and spend 15,000 pounds and feel intimidated while you're in there. So I still, thought there's a bit of a, there's definitely a gap there for original artwork. And so, and it was when eBay was in its infancy as well. So I'd sell it on eBay, sell that stuff online and I was selling it all over the UK. Um, and uh, and then I, I kind of like, once I would sold all of their discarded artwork um, and, and, and also they couldn't paint it as quick as I could sell it uh I used to go to the car auctions in Trafford Park uh and and uh buy beat up old bangers and clean them up and polish them up and make them nice and sell those as well so I was always quite entrepreneurial I was interested wasn't really interested in studying law didn't think I, I'd make a good lawyer particularly and I was right at that um and then as soon as I got a job as a trainee lawyer um I um I bought a house and uh with, with the money that I'd made and uh, the, 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 the kind of like the, the money I saved, I was able to just about get a deposit to buy a house uh, and I, I renovated that and um, and then I was able. this is when you get 100% mortgage as well, crikey, you know it's like, you didn't need a lot of uh, cash and I bought that for £60,000 and a family uh, approached me and, and said, uh, can I buy it off you? So, um, so I, I that, uh, hadn't really thought about selling it but yeah, great, okay, fine, because I could There's another derelict house on the next road along uh, in Salford. so um, I bought that and did that and then I bought another one and a bigger one and two of them and three of them and then before you knew it, it you know it, it kind of it, it grew that way but always with that same focus on uh, creating focus on design a focus on um, selling to owner occupiers uh, you know um, as you know we ban investors from buying our products off us our homes um, and and also um, and always a kind of a, yeah a focus on you know community as well so um, and that ethos has remained with me uh, throughout the process And some people have said oh that's not possible to, to to, to be spending two million pounds a week from starting out from uh, renovating a house but well, you know what it is you know it, it's um yes it's hard work um, and, and 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 yeah, you know it's uh, it doesn't always go my way as you can see in the program it's, it's but it's about getting back up in the morning with, when you get a hard knock and, and and having another go and I've been fortunate enough to to, to have uh, to have done that in a city that's had you know incredible growth and incredible um, prosperity occur over the past 20 years and I happen to have been uh, developing in amongst that city over that period of time mm.
0: I, I think the key thing there though and i think this is often uh, the case with uh, entrepreneurs and people who you know go on to be uh, successful is that you from an early age uh, identify those opportunities of gaps in the market uh, and then making money and it doesn't matter whether you're making millions of pounds it's that fact that you've identified a niche in the market and that you're making some cash. Uh, And you did that with the art, and then as you say, you moved on to cars. Uh, Tom Bloxham's got some tremendous stories about his early career, for example, and lots of other people that I meet in this space of people who I would genuinely describe as entrepreneurial. You will often find that at a very young age, Uh, they've been selling stuff even back at school, you know, where they've made a few, Bob. And and as I say, I thought that uh, that was a little skirted over in the documentary, so I'm delighted that we've been able to get a bit more insight into that. Um, But at what age, Tim, would you say you thought, actually, set my own business up, that's what I want to do?
1: I think um, I I was never really, um, you know, I I was was always well behaved at school, but I I never particularly... uh, you know, enjoyed having followed, following the rule book. It, I think I definitely class myself as more on the creative spectrum than the academic spectrum. Um, so I could get by at school. Um, I did all right, but, um, it was never really what I enjoyed. Um, and, and as you can see, you know, like, and so I, th- I think those like improving houses or improving cars or improving artwork is a creative process. And so, um, so I think that w- what I wanted to do was I, I always kind of wanted to, um, to be able to do that but I didn't know how I thought I'm gonna to have to make some money somehow so maybe I okay, get well paid um that would be a good way of getting into it um and so uh, but, but pretty quickly as soon as I was able to have a as soon as I, I kind of I got a job and I had an income and I had a salary I was almost immediately I thought you know I should I should I should try and put this to good news try and cr- create something make something and, and and the byproduct of that was that it was worth more to somebody else, and that that meant that I had the opportunity to go and do it again. You know, I was fascinated by, nice old buildings, um, you know, uh, derelict places. Like, why are they derelict? What's the story? You know, uh, you know, o- other people's discarded kind of stuff that people didn't want anymore. To me, was always it always had an appeal to kind of upcycle it. And this was kind of before upcycling was cool, I suppose. Um, so um, so I think it was almost instantaneous, actually. And you know, I wasn't cut out to be a good lawyer. Even at uni, I could tell that. You know, my my fellow um, cohort of students were far brighter than I was academically, so I thought I'm not going to cut it in this industry. Uh, I'm already a failed lawyer; and I've only just started. Um, I need to get out, and um, and so it's pretty obvious, to Richard, right from the start, actually, that I needed to find a, find my own path on stuff, really, um, and that's what gets me out of bed in the morning. And um, you know, and and, it, and different things does it for different people as well, um, you know. But for me, you know, for me to jump out of bed in the morning, I need a challenge. I need an element of risk. Um, but I need to be doing something creatively. I think that 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 will um, that I can see other people appreciate and enjoy, and and that's definitely what my, my motivation is.
0: Fascinating. And then, you know, Capital Centric obviously uh, has gone on to be a, a major player now in the industry sector. We focused on the work that you've done in Manchester and Salford, but you are working in other cities as well, and recently announced um, a, a major, major project. Uh, in our neck of the woods here in Liverpool.
1: Yeah, and, and Liverpool is a city close to my heart because actually about, probably about 10 years ago is when I started to do things in Liverpool, um, which is, and I've always been welcome there as well, which is great because you don't often get a lot of transition from, you know, uh, one end of the M602 to the other. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, it, it was it was great, um, you know, and I love the architecture there, the people there are, are, are great as well. And um, and so, and it had, um you know, it, it's, There was lots that could be done then um, as well, 10 years ago, but there's been a huge amount of growth in the meantime. Um, It's always nice to have been kind of in in there somewhere doing some bits and bats, but actually um, the the, the big project is the the project at at, uh, at Edge Lane, uh, the former Littlewoods Pools Complex, um, where we had a small involvement at the far end of it, which you can't really see from the road, which is the bunker building that we developed several years ago now. and we always wanted to do the big beast next door, which is the, um, the Little Woods Pools building, which is about 150,000 square feet as it is. Um, and it's like the fourth bridge. It's, it's all painted white. And you, I, I imagine when it's completed, you can get to one end of it and start again painting it all white again. It's that big and long. Um, and, so, um, and so, yeah, bit by bit, we've been working hard on bringing that together. And it's and it's seen off other developers in the past. It's a bit of a nemesis of a of a project and of a building, um, and and we took ownership of it probably I think a couple of years ago now, um, and and so um, and then we've and then we had a huge devastating fire um, as well, which we managed to save the building, uh, but actually it suffered a huge amount of damage, which has meant that it's going to cost even more to put right. Um, but in but in, in amongst all of that, we signed and Film Studios uh, um, uh, as well, probably a year or so ago. And then we've recently announced that we've, uh, that we've signed another 75,000 square foot of space to Liverpool John Moores University as well and that means that takes us to about 160,000 square feet of, of, of space pre-let which is a huge I think um, a huge amount of progress and, and actually our vision for that is to co-locate private industry alongside the educational sector so that you've got that genuine sharing of knowledge, staff, of resource, of space, of equipment um, and so, you know, and, and if I was going to go and study again, you know, if I had my time over again, if I could have essentially studied, studied, you know, in amongst a property development industry, um, then, uh, I think I'd have found my route to where I got to much more quickly. And I think that's increasingly vocationally is, 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 how education is going to go. I think, um, you, you need more applied experience and that can be, you know, um, it can be, you know, uh, in any sector, I think this, this can apply. So, you know, if, if you want to go and study, you know, um, it then, if you can go and do it on a Google campus, then you're going to go and do that, aren't you? And I think that increasingly there's there's a race for talent as well. You know, uh, you know, in, in our service sector economy, you know, businesses their single biggest competitive advantage is their is, is is their team, and so they want to get nearer and nearer to the talent, the businesses, and in doing that, if they're based on campus with those talented young individuals that are graduating from that uh, from those universities, that's the that, that's where they want to be. So there's been like a natural move from educational needing to get close to the private sector and private industry and then private industry needing to get close to the education sector. So it just was, uh, you know, I was ghosting that there's no gap there, that, 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 sorry, nobody in that gap, in that space. So um, we thought, well, we could definitely do something there, that co-location of education and private sector. So, you um, we know, we're proud that uh, we've been, we, we went out and, uh, and secured those occupiers ourselves. We've not got an agent that did that for us because, you um, Fundamentally, you know, uh, it's, it, was, it seemed like a quantum leap in terms of a, a project. You know, people were saying it'll never happen. I don't think it'll work. You can't. You, you're not going to be able to pull that off. But actually, here we are now very close to being able to make a start on site with that. And I think what's exciting for us is, is what that will bring to that local area in terms of job opportunities, educational opportunities. Um, and, and it's phenomenal. You know, the, 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 as, a, as a sector, the, the content creation sector uh, has gone through the roof. Um, you know people are consuming content in so many different platforms in so many different ways so many different niches now and therefore the need for talent and for w- w- well-trained um, well-paid people has uh, climbed um, so high and it's great now to be able to think that um, we're going to be able to do that in Liverpool when we were researching this we'd spent time and we'd go and see the biggest organizations so, and typically they were in London and you speak to people, and there were Manx and Scousers and Brummies in London going, "Well, this is where the work was, so I've had to move down here," and that drives me mad. That we could be, we could have that in our own cities, um, and we could be the beneficiaries of that, uh, of that kind of that, that that process of talent creation, and wealth creation, job creation. Um, so um, the, the sense of achievement and reward that you get from making, you know, that 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 thing happen is, uh, I can't explain. You know, it's, um, and and I do that every day of the week, over just like you know. Uh, popping up, um, you know, these, you know, noddy box houses in the suburbs, um, you know, complicated town centre, city centre, mixed use environments uh, are, are, are great things to be involved in. And uh, it gives you a real buzz to see those things kind of come about bit by bit.
0: Fascinating stuff, Tin. And, and listen, just just to end, uh, I'm sure having been on uh, the BBC now, you, you're just waiting for the call to get the audition for the next bomb movie um, <laughs> but uh, assuming that doesn't happen uh, what next for capital and centric what are the plans for the future
1: i think uh, yeah we we're, we're excited by uh, we're excited by the suburbs you know i think um, we've got a unique set of skills i think that can uh, you know that, that can be applied in, in locations that, that 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 need regenerating i think the cities of manchester and liverpool are doing phenomenally well and and, and fundamentally they don't need us in a sense, you know. They don't need that uh, it, that, that kind of uh, intel. They've got that. They've got developers who are prepared to invest and, and bring forward great projects there. So we then need to think about where we're, where we where we're needed next a bit. And I think that is would, would be not in the city centres as much, but increasingly in the suburbs, uh, increasingly um, making out making those kind of former retail driven town centres more relevant again, more interesting again, um, and and uh, you know creating new communities there. Fundamentally over the time, those town centers have died off literally because the people that used to frequent them, you know, have died off themselves. You know, they were designed Victorian times and um, and almost they've never really evolved since. So I think they're a great challenge. If, if you like, they're the, they're kind of like the, they are the warehouses of the future. You know, these mill conversions, I think that the retail centers are the new version of a mill conversion, like what do you do with these things? You know, how do you repurpose those? So I'm spending a lot of time thinking about that and, and looking at how we do that and, um, and, and, and a lot of head scratching but, um, but we're starting to get some answers and, uh, and so, yeah, that excites me. So I think, yeah, big focus on town centres.
0: Tim, it's been great chatting to you.
1: Likewise, Frank. I really enjoyed
0: it. Yeah, hopefully I'll see you at a, at a live event very soon.
1: Can't wait. I
0: can't wait. Top yeah. man. Thanks, Frank. Thanks, Tim Heatley, the uh, co-founder of, uh, of Capital & Century. Uh, coming to uh, a cinema near you very shortly. Cheers, Tim.
1: Cheers, thanks.